Hello and welcome back to episode 23 of Prognotes. My name is Destin. And I'm Drew. And today we are listening to Hand Cannot Erase by Stephen Wilson. If you've never listened to our show, our goal here is to educate and hopefully inspire our listeners to uncover and learn about music from the progressive rock archives that you may have never heard of or want to learn more about. If you're coming back to the show, we always want to say thank you. And if you enjoy what you hear today, we would be very grateful if you shared the podcast on social media or leave us a review on your listening platform. And as always, be sure to subscribe so you'll be notified when we launch a new episode. So before we talk about the album, we want to welcome back our great friend, Miss Rachel Brown. Hello, Rachel. Hello. Rachel uh, was featured on our episode four with uh, Sergeant Peppers, as well as episode 10 with Tales, Mystery, and Imagination. So she brings a lot to the table, and I think she'll have a lot to say about this record. So we're very grateful for you to be here. Thank you for joining us and making the drive out here during the, uh, you know, the whole Corona thing. I'm, and, I'm risking uh, my life, but I am really honored to be here. <laughs> her life for this episode. So that's why you should share it. Um, there is a, there's a lot of history with Steven. So I'm going to try and give a good look into his career in the quickest way possible. So let's just go ahead and talk about a little bit of just Hank and Out of Race. Uh, Hank and Out of Race is the fourth fourth solo studio album by the English musician Stephen Wilson. It was released February 27th, 2015. It features Stephen playing mellotron, guitars, bass, banjo, hammer, dulcimer, programming, and lead vocals. But he's also included with Guthrie Govan is uh, on guitar, Nick Beggs on bass, Chapman Stick and backing vocals, Adam Holzman on piano, keyboard, synths, and Marco Miniman on drums. Uh, the last track on the album, Happy Returns, also features Chad Wackerman on drums, and Nanette Tayeb is also featured as a vocalist on the record, as well as the London Session Orchestra. And finally, Theo Travis provides flute and baritone saxophone on the record as well. So, Stephen himself is a four-time Grammy nominee, multi-instrumentalist and producer, probably known for probably known the most for being the frontman and founder of the prog rock band Porcupine Tree. Um, although he has many other projects with other musicians, such as Storm Corrosion, Blackfield, uh, No Man, and Bass Communion, which explore a variety of different textures and genres like electronic dance music, pop rock, metal, kraut rock, and prog. He's also done remixes of albums by popular prog rock bands like Yes, King Crimson, Jethro Tull, Tangerine Dream, XTC, and Marillion. Uh, Steven has been called the most successful musician you've never heard of. He has sold out the 5300 capacity Royal Albert Hall multiple times and is currently have over half a million record sales. And Hand Cannot Erase, Hand Cannot Erase reached number 13 on the charts and his To The Bone record, which is the uh, album that succeeded this one, was reached number one, but still remains under the radar and rather unnoticed except by his fans. And, uh, and I find this hilariously accurate to the world of Prague as well. Like albums have come and just swept away the charts, like uh, like moving pictures from episode 15, Dark Side of the Moon from episode two and Sgt. Pepper's episode four that we did. And yet it still almost remains underground in a way and has sort of a cultish following, which is, I think is funny. But anyway, after the tour of Porcupine Tree's The Incident in 2010, Stephen Ward's working on his second solo album. Uh, quoting Stephen, he said, I was recording my second solo album by then and really wanted to concentrate on my solo career, but there was also a factor of some Porcupine Tree members not wanting to play the kind of music that I was developing for the band. I wanted to take Porcupine Tree in a direction they didn't want to follow. I knew this, and I didn't want to be on stage playing songs that I felt others might resent." End quote. 
And so as things transpired, Steven's solo career has blossomed from that point. That second solo album, Grace for Drowning, sold well throughout Europe, hit number 34 in Britain and number 85 on the Billboard 200. And his subsequent albums have achieved progressively higher chart positions, which I'll let Drew speak into that specifically for this record in a second. Lastly, with Steven's wide musical array, his solo career blends mostly pop, prog rock, and what he calls progressive pop and is known for constantly challenging his listeners to new soundscapes and textures, which leads us to Hand Cannot Erase, an album that combines both prog rock, psychedelic rock, and pop. This is the pretty much the essence of what Steven stands for, is challenging himself and his listeners to always create something that's something new that's not necessarily an advancement from his last record, but different and has its own identity. So Drew, starting with the critics and the fans, what did they have to say about Hand Cannot Erase? Uh, this was a very well-received album, <clears throat> uh, and I can understand why. Um, the U.S. Billboard 200, when it came out, it was number 39. For UK, it was, uh, looks like it was 13. For UK rock albums, it was number one. For UK independent, it was number two. Um, for Finnish albums, it was number four. For German albums, it was number three. For okay. Austrian albums, it was number 12. For Dutch albums, it was number two. Um, this this charted in a lot of different Western European countries, uh, as well as um, <clears throat> in the U.S. as well. Uh, it had a, a large success, and I'm sure some of that had to do with the fact that, again, you have already mentioned his reputation. Yes. Uh, even though he's the most successful musician you've never heard of, quote-unquote, um, I mean, Porcupine Tree was still pretty big, especially in the prog community, especially in the rock yeah. community. Yeah. So I'm sure that helped a little bit. Uh, but I think the actual, you know, it wouldn't get as high as it did without the actual essence of the album being good. <laughs> yeah. No, and, and, um, so, so yeah, it was very well received. Um, before I say what, I'll give kind of a, a broad overview before I go into some of the, the quotes that I'll read from some of the reviews I found in various places online. Um, I'll just say um, lots of people seem to agree that this album is very genuine. It's a very Stephen Wilson record, and they appreciate that. Some I have read have expressed a certain disdain for Wilson, implying that he sometimes just rips off older prog bands or tries too hard to be progressive. But most people think that Hand Cannot Erase is progressive, but it doesn't seem like it's trying to be so. Wilson seemed to be putting his mind directly into a 65-minute musical journey without any pretense, without being overly proggy. And yet the record is still progressive, as it blends elements of, pro of pop, rock, prog, jazz, electronica, and metal all into one cohesive, sonorous album. Some reviews said it was progressive rock, but not prog rock with a capital p which i think oh, we kind of mentioned on the jethro tull record uh, yeah episode. i think we yeah so um many say that his previous album the raven that reviews to sing was very much emulating the 70s prog styles of the pioneers like yes king crimson and genesis uh, but reviewers agree that this record has a few nods but it's not nearly as proggy um so that was kind of a broad overview of what mm -hmm. i had read um, but I liked what a lot of other people had to say. Um, five out of five stars from all about jazz. Interestingly enough, <laughs> nice. Okay. Uh, name of the website. Uh, John Kelman 
was the writer and reviewer for that. And he said, there may be hardcore progressive fans who will balk at the idea of programming drum loops, electronics, and pop songs. But for those with, an op- with open ears and open minds, Hand Cannot Erase is the next logical step for Wilson. Um, he goes on to say a couple of things. Uh, I'll, I'll skip down to the end of what he says. He says, as someone capable of delivering accessible music that is, at the same time, compositionally and lyrically deep, detailed, and at times unapologetically uncomfortable, uh, and unapologetically complex, Wilson makes absolutely no compromises in doing what he does. And yet, almost in spite of it all, his star continues on an increasingly rapid upward trajectory. So that was five out of five. That guy had some very uh, nice things to say about the record. Uh, huh. 4.3 out of five uh, on Prague Archives. 55% of user voters on there gave it five stars, calling it a masterpiece. Um, 4.5 out of 5 on all music. Uh, This is a good quote here. This troubling but deeply moving record is a metaphorical treatise on societal alienation, loneliness, and urban dislocation offered without pretension. It is aesthetically attractive while being emotionally and intellectually resonant. Pop music cannot hope to accomplish more. Hmm. Um, She was three years older than me. And then I, I also wanted to mention, because this was a really interesting blog. There's a, a guy with a blog, I think, called uh, Angry Metal Guy. Um, I read that. I read that. He gave it a 4.5 out of 5. Again, almost everyone, I, maybe not raved about it, but said this was a gave remarkable. It, gave it high. Yeah. Yeah. Like 4.0 it was or high. It's remarkable. Um, there were a couple. Uh and if anyone wants kind of a little bit of sourness to balance out all the sweetness, I can do that. Uh, there was a guy on Prague Archives who didn't really care for it. And, and he gives uh, a good reason as to why. Um, he he makes a valid argument. I mean, you know, art is subjective, right? Um, right. But uh, I'll go ahead and say what Angry Metal Guy said. He had a lot of really good things about uh, to say about this that were also really insightful. Um, he said one thing that differentiates can cannot erase from the raven that refused to sing and other stories is its tone the production here is smooth and wet without the trashy reverb live sound that the raven that refused to sing utilized on whom cannot yeah. erase there's a heavy touch of reverb to soften the edges of and as the <clears throat> record develops it gets more dreamy and distant Early on, however, the use of what I will loosely call electronica on First Regret and Perfect Life is a reminder that Wilson isn't in the business of making a 70s prog rock cover band. This balance of the new and the old gives this record its unique flavor, while still allowing Wilson to quote at his leisure, drawing heavily from Floyd, Camel, and Tull, and the one I hear maybe the most in the balance between the bass, guitars, and drums, Rush. Rush. Yep. Uh, my biggest complaint about Hand Cannot Erase is the state of existential sadness that it leaves me in every time I listen to it. Even before I knew uh, I knew the story, the record oozed loss, sadness, and hurt deep enough that I would walk away with a knot in my stomach, but couldn't keep myself from pressing play again as soon as I got the chance. With stellar musicianship, a, true, a truly masterful production job that balances a whole band, electronic sounds, and a London session orchestra to perfection, Hand Cannot Erase demonstrates how Wilson is blossoming as a composer to complement his skill as a producer, and his vision really is beautiful. And I love that that was his biggest complaint, was that it yeah. elicited some sort of emotional response, because to me, that's not that- really an insult. Um, <laughs> no, that's not an insult. Yeah, it's like as long as it's gold? not annoyance. As long as it's not annoyance. <laughs> yeah, you that's know. interesting. 
so yeah, lots of great things to say about that. I know I've said a lot. So yeah, I, I had I had a long intro as well. <laughs> but so yeah, let's let's go ahead and bring well let's go ahead and bring Rachel into this conversation. So Rachel, what what are your uh, thoughts on the record? Just a, just a, a general overview of what you thought about it because we haven't we haven't spoke at all about what well, you, and this what was new thought or this was new for me as well. So yes, for, that is true. For Rachel that and Drew, true. this is new. Hey, yeah. that rhymed. Oh my gosh! Good job, Drew. Let's soak that in. I, it's like I've got the perfect hype, man. I mean. Oh my goodness! I kind of hate myself now. Okay, sorry, Rachel. I cut you off. No, you're fine. I didn't even start. Um, <laughs> no. Shoot. Um, actually, it, it's interesting because, um, yeah, this is the very first time that I had listened to this album. Was yeah, I've, I've probably listened to it uh, about five times through now, um, within the past couple weeks. Um, just listening to it, then kind of stepping away and listening to it again. Um, and interestingly. Um, my exposure to prog rock is very much older prog, which, well, I guess that's not interesting because most people, that's what they associate with prog rock, um, sure. is, you know, the 70s heyday stuff. And that's the yep. stuff that I've listened to. So I haven't really listened to as much um, modern prog. So I was really excited to be asked to do an episode with you guys where I'm listening to something brand new instead of coming in on something that I've already known for a while. Um, cool. So my my first thoughts with this album and I guess I've just this was the only way I could think of to describe it at first um it was the most unproggy prog album I've ever heard um yeah. <laughs> that yeah, yeah that, that there's definitely not any great vocabulary used there but that was my first thought because um like you mentioned how it's it seems to span a lot of different genres, you know, you know, electronica, jazz, um, pop, you know, and just kind of even straightforward rock. Um, mm -hmm. you know, I read a lot of things about that and I definitely heard, um, some much more palatable prog, I guess you could say. Um, when I was listening to the album, there were definitely strains and pieces that I thought, oh, that sounds very poppy, you know, as I was listening to it. it, it when I when I first put on this record, it was not what I expected at all. I got to say that, and, and in a good way. Um, but, you know, so, but I was also, I've been so exposed to old prog that it took a, it took an adjustment period for me to yeah. kind of hear what, and I will say I was also, what I was pleasantly surprised about, I am not a metal fan. And I know that a lot of modern prog kind of borders on that. Um, a yeah, lot of the stuff that you guys have reviewed. Yeah. yeah. So, um, cause I keep up with your show. So, um, but a lot of it, I go back and I might go try to listen to one of the albums that you've reviewed that I haven't heard. And I'm like, Oh, I don't even know if I can make it through this because mm -hmm. I am not a metal person. I like certain hard rock, you know, especially when you'll, you know, they'll really start jamming in a prog tune. Um, but there still is a line there. And sometimes I just can't cross the line, uh, into what I would consider more metal than prog. Um, and I was so pleasantly surprised that this was not that kind of an album at all. Mm -hmm. Um, so my first initial reaction, I mean, just to the music alone was just that, whoa, this is different than what I had expected. And um, I think in some ways I kind of missed a little bit more of the prog, but the more I listened to it, I also found a lot more of the prog elements uh, in the music itself. Um, yeah. But 
I'm also a huge, huge fan of concept albums because, you know, I was an English major. I love telling stor- stories. I mean, my concentration was creative writing on, you know, on top of the fact that I was just an English major. So I love anything that's telling a story. Um, and even if I don't completely love the music, um, there are certain albums that I have been drawn to at least listen to or been curious to delve into, even if I don't end up loving them, um, because they are there. It's a concept. They're telling a story. And I got very super into looking into the concept behind this album. And, um, I'm also drawn to a little bit of melancholia as well. So I liked the fact that it was kind of, it's, it's not like it's a great, you know, great concept. Like it's supposed to leave you happy, but sometimes there's a lot to chew on with those darker concepts. And so the deeper it goes and the more there is for me to chew on with the concept, the more I'm going to like it. And so the more yeah. I delved into the concept, the more I also continue to appreciate the album. So that was kind of my first my first reaction to it. Yeah, that's really cool. Drew, would, would, what would your... Would you agree that with just the because you've had you've had more exposure to Steven's stuff being in Porcupine Tree and you know that they kind of leaned on that sort of metal thing? Were you expecting that as well? Sort more of a kind of that that modern metalish style before listening uh, to this? I guess I <clears throat> yeah I, I guess though uh, you you had given me to the bone which the That's one true. was the one after Hands yeah. Not Erased and I knew that that one was more atmospheric more poppy kind of stuff and so i i I guess i did expect a bit of heaviness a little bit but i knew that i didn't know anything about this record i never never heard a track from it um i don't think it may be routine a long time ago because i think you may have shown me the music video a long time ago yeah um because that looked a little bit familiar um but i i I guess I didn't really know what to expect because To the Bone was very poppy and then the Porcupine Tree stuff was very heavy. However, even with Porcupine Tree, and we mentioned this on an Absentia episode, that there are some soft parts on there too. Prodigal's a pretty soft song, right? Yeah, right. uh, The Sound of Muzak isn't really, I don't know, doesn't really seem super heavy to me. It's a classic rock tune. It's yeah. like a really awesome classic rock tune, but not overly heavy like some of the other stuff, like Strip the Soul. So, right. I mean, he's a mixed bag, and you know what? That's what I appreciate about Steven. Um, and I think a lot of people like that with this, too, with this record, is that he's defying expectations. And uh, it just shows that he's got a very eclectic taste, that he likes a lot of different influences, and he can blend them all together very well. Not something that many musicians can do. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I would one, agree. Not, not, not that many. Okay, first off, one, not that many musicians even care to explore other influences. Yeah, let's, I would agree that, that too. First, yeah. Second, that they can even pull off blending those very well. So, you know, hats off to Stephen if he's the, you know, the face of progressive rock. I have no complaints. I have no yeah. complaints of him yeah. being the face of modern progressive rock because yeah. I agree with um, most of what people said about this. From what I read, is that it's also a genuine record. You know, I feel a lot of heart. I feel a lot of heart and a lot of emotion in this. And even if I don't love every single second of this record, like a lot of people do, and they, they rave about it, by the way, if I had to put a number score, which we never do on this show, but if I had to, I would give it either an eight or maybe nine out of 10. This was very good. There were a couple things where I was like, it's not flawless, but I would agree. I, I was telling Destin right before the show, the parts that make it the eight out of 10 
are a 10 out of 10. Or a 10 out of 10, yeah. They're stupid good. They are stupid good. Um, I mean, the sound design he puts into this. I mean, he, he, yeah. I, I understand where people are like, yeah, he's his composition is catching up to his his skills as a producer because as a producer, yeah. um, what the hell? Like, he's stupid good. I mean, yeah. just the sounds that he creates and the atmosphere he immerses you in, honestly, are, are scare me. They yeah. scare me. I mean, I mean, part of part of this so huge uh, part of this huge thing that he started to do is, and, and I mentioned that he did a lot of remixes of older prog bands. Um, like part of his thing that he loves to do is mix stuff in quadraphonic sound. Like he'll yeah. take records and mix them in quadraphonic sound. And and the two times that I've seen Stephen live, um, his concerts were in quadraphonic sound. So we would have speakers behind you as well as speakers in front of you, and certain sounds that were played on stage would come from behind you. I mean, it's really immersive stuff, and it's really it's really cool and unique to see and listen to. Every, everything in this record is mixed perfectly. Oh, and it's I, so I'm clean. not exaggerating when I use that term. Every so clean. single instrument is heard where it needs to be heard in the mix. Yeah. And, and as opposed to the record beforehand, you know, on the Raven or uh, the Raven that refuses saying, like it kind of had this like trashy live sound to it. And right. I think this one just, and you were mentioning that on the, uh, I forget which review it was, the Angry Metal Guy one, I think, is when it was just, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. Very, it's, it's more wet, mixed really, really well. Like everything is just smooth and yeah. more professional sounding, yeah. which I agree. And it, yeah, it's from an aesthetically and on, almost as just as like, it's just a super three dimensional record. Yeah, it's got a ton of. It has a lot. It's yeah. a lot going on in this record, which is great. Uh, and you know, I don't. One one could make the argument that he did that to appeal to a bunch of people. I don't think he did. This was just who he was. You know, I agree with the people who had reviewed and said that this was a, like I said before, a genuine record. That yeah. all of those influences were not to kind of just cast a wide net. No, this was him. You know. Yep. So very yeah. cool. Very yeah. very cool. Sorry, those think... are my thoughts on it. Yeah, I think Steven has done what probably every prog musician has dreamed of, and that is to just have full creative freedom to do whatever you want, whenever you want. And right. just in Steven's back, Steven's history, he, he got his income from doing commercials and TV early in his career. Huh. And so, like, he, he financially, he didn't leave porcupine tree because of financial he's never i don't think he's ever really made a financial decision in his career based on what he is going to do like i'm going to do i'm going to go solo for a financial reason or i'm going to do porcupine tree for financial he just does whatever he wants to do and what better person to have that freedom than this guy who just right. has this vast range of musical inspiration and the drive to just write so much music i mean the dude has had a record out probably I mean, a, prob a record probably every two years on top yeah. of the touring right. and the remixes right. and the other side projects. Like, the dude's everywhere. It's right. crazy. Yeah. So, but yeah, I, I, my, I would say stylistically, this record's very three-dimensional. I, I, I think some say aesthetically, the album can be, like, they would say drab because of the, the, the rehashes of the classic prog rock tropes. Um... I can I can I can agree to that in a way, but the album definitely has that sort of '70s prog rock feel compositionally, which I don't think is wrong. But you know, some can be heard, and, and maybe they can say it's a rehash or an, an homage in a way. But I mean, I I 
love those those moments. Same. Those I, yeah, I was about to, to say that. I, mean, that, that like, I love that. <laughs> yeah. I mean. Yeah. Is, I mean. Well, I mean. That's not a surprise. This is a prog rock show. So there right. you go. Right. But. Yeah. But I mean, gosh, dude. I mean, I was hit right from the get go with three years later, right? Or, yeah. Right. Three years. Three years, uh, three years older. older. My apologies. Three years older. Just at the beginning, like crazy rush vibes. Yes. Crazy yep. intense yes. rush vibes. Not only the sound of the bass, but the actual composition of how it works with the drums too. I was like, this is 2000s rush. This is easily 2000s rush sound and like a yeah. an early like like early 70s rush composition. You know what I mean? Kind of like yep. mixing like a modern Getty bass and like Neil Drum. Like the sound of that, the texture of that, with the composition of something they would have written back in like you know the mid to late seventies. Yep. And I was like, "This is awesome. I yeah. am like, I am hooked so much on this." And, oh yeah. Oh man, it was. It's great. Yeah, God, like I said, the parts that are good about this record, which are a lot, don't get me wrong, um, I really did enjoy this record a lot. But there are some moments that are just unbelievably awesome, unbelievably yeah. awesome. So, yeah. That's great. So what, what do we have with the, um, uh, because you gave it kind of an eight out of 10. And I think I've heard, uh, Rachel, I mean, you, you've enjoyed most of the record. Is that right? Yeah. I think Drew and I are pretty, um, we had a small discussion about this before, you know, recording the show. Um, uh, I mean, I didn't want to give out all my thoughts, give anything away, you know, and, and cause I was still chewing on it, but I think we're oh, yeah. probably, um, on the same page as far as the things that we did like about it and the things that we didn't like. Uh, I mean, for me, like I said, just right out of the gate, it was because I just don't listen to a lot of modern prog. It was, it was an adjustment, but like what you were saying, Drew, about Mm -hmm. the different um, influences that you heard right out of the gate, the bass, I was like rush. I I heard rush right out of the gate. I heard a lot of um, like Wakeman keyboard influences, uh, like a very yes kind of sound in some of the pieces. Um, And then also some Pink Floyd, almost kind of, um, was it home invasion? Um, And then it starts, you know, going into the total, you know, music breakdown. I heard a lot of um, kind of Pink Floyd on the run-esque influences there too, um, with some of the electronica. Um, But so, and every time I listened to it, like I said, it grew even more that I um, enjoyed it. So, and, and just for me also like with the concept. So I would say for me, this was a great, um, exposure to modern prog that I'd actually listen to. <laughs> um, That's good. And I, I, I mean, I enjoyed it and I chewed on it enough to where I wanted to share it with um, uh, my parents. And we were actually sitting around listening to some of it um, the other night. So I was like, oh, you, cool. you got to listen to this. Yeah, it's definitely something that I would go, hey, yeah, I would mention to anyone, you got to take a listen to this. So I was incredibly pleased with the album and there are only a few parts that I would also say that again, not bad at all, um, but just kind of maybe not my personal taste or it got maybe a little poppy, I think, for me. I, I mean, I, I'll mention just kind of, you know, I know we're not totally going into it yet, but I honestly, I think one of my least favorite tracks was the title track. It, it felt very um, poppy to me, just incredibly accessible uh, and kind of commercial. But the only reason being is just, I mean, or just meaning there's nothing that doesn't fit about it on the album. It totally fits. Uh, it's it's a good song. I didn't dislike the song, and I also really liked it lyrically um, and some of the concepts that he's talking about in that song. But for some mm-hmm. reason, not every, you know, that there's some moments that kind of pull me out of the prog vibe that I've got going on in that song. Yeah. And that's what kind of 
throws me out a little bit. I'm like, oh, wait a minute. Okay. And then, and then we go right back in. And then we're in Prague again, yeah. you know? So I think Hand Cannot Erase was the one that I was just a little bit like, uh, kind of sticks out to me as maybe my least favorite, but I didn't dislike it. Yeah, I get that. He's done that with, I feel like I, I'm in I'm in this Stephen Wilson like fan page Facebook group, right? And he's got a new record coming out uh, in less than a month. And there's only been, there's been two songs that have been released from the record. Both of them are which are very, very electronic uh, sounding um, and has that sort of electronic vibe. And it's just every time, I, every time he's released something, it's always that way. It's like somebody's like, what? Okay, I'm getting like this thing. I'm getting some of this. I'm like getting some of this. I'm like, I don't know if I like this yet. I don't think I've actually listened to any of Steven's record, records and actually liked it the first time I listened to it. It actually took me probably two or three, four times of listening to it to be like, oh, especially with this record. I mean, first time I heard this record was right when it came out and everybody was raving about it. And I listened to it probably twice. And I was like, this isn't really that good. And then over time, it just like, I started to see and hear more of the stuff that I personally liked. And it, it feels like at every single record that he's done. I think that's something that's common. So I don't think that you're, it, I don't think that you're in the minority there. Right. With well, being like, and, yeah. to, and to be fair, a lot of prog in general is like that. You just have that's to true. give it several lifts, listens before yeah. you'll find that, you know, you'll be listening to it and then there'll be that one thing that does kind of hook you about it. And then it gets you to listen to the, the whole album again and again and again and connect it all. And then it, it finally clicks. But, you know, yep. usually with a lot of the prog that I've come to know and love, it was one or two tracks that really stood out to me and I loved, but I just listened to the whole thing, you know, continued to listen to all of it, and then it all just began to piece together, you know? Yeah. Yeah, Drew, we had a uh, we had a review from somebody that sent in to us that uh, I know we wanted to mention on the show because he had a lot of interesting input from his perspective on the record. Do you have that with you? Yeah, I do. I'm going to read it. I'm going to read this. He's going to read uh, some of it. This, so, is a really, this is a really in-depth review, which I appreciated. Yeah, same. I really enjoyed it. So here we go. This is Hand Cannot Erase, a review five years on. Wow. All right, here we go. Shoot. I will preface this review by stating that this is my favorite album. There have been a few t uh, recent challengers, but Hand Cannot Erase still holds strong. From the very first listen, I was hooked. Time is usually not kind to albums in that, eventually, what was new, exciting, and fresh becomes old and stale to the listener by either shifting tastes or oversaturation. My personal tastes have trended into the heavier, darker, and more extreme prog sphere. However, this album still sounds as bright and exciting as it did in the beginning. Hand Cannot Erase is a musical interpretation of a woman's struggle with isolation and depression. There's also a bit of a statement about the problems uh, being in a digital world can create. Stephen Wilson was inspired to write this album based on a documentary about a woman who lived in London, had little interaction with the outside world, and ultimately passed away. The story seems sad, but unremarkable until it is revealed that her body was not discovered for almost three years. Neighbors thought everything was okay. State assistants auto-paid many of her bills, and her family didn't think anything was out of the ordinary for her to be quiet for long periods. So did Stephen Wilson translate that descent into isolation into a compelling and coherent album? Yes. Yes, he did. The album consists of 11 tracks on eight official songs and runs for a little over an hour. Little did I know then that the content and context of this album would increase in relevance. Here in 2020, during a time of forced isolation, global pandemics, and economic folly, is an album from 2015 discussing the ramifications of those very things. 
that would lead one to believe that the music is doom and gloom, sadness, darkness, and despair. While there are elements of the album that display this in both Routine, which I will discuss later, and Home Invasion, the majority of, of the album leans into a back and forth of remorse and hope. This back and forth is best represented in the, in the songs Three Years Older and Happy Returns. It is interesting to contrast these two songs as they are the respective opener and closer for the album, not including the ambient intro First Regret and outro Ascendant Huron. My personal interpretation of Three Years Older is that of a letter written to the protagonist of the story by her brother after her death. It reads as a reflection and reaction to Happy Returns, which is most definitely a letter written by the protagonist to her brother, as evidenced by the lyrics, Hey Brother, Happy Returns. Taken together, these songs are the emotional backbone for the entire album. Speaking of emotional songs, there are two that stand out, but for very different reasons. The first is the aforementioned Routine, a nine-minute lament about the loss of family and the depression that follows. This song is the first time Stephen Wilson has sung a duet with a female vocalist, and boy, did he get the voice right for this for this song. Yeah, and Tayab, right? Tayab. Yep. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I'm, I don't know where the syllabic stress is emphasized, so I, it's okay. Tayab, let's work. Nanette Tayab unleashes such force that it manifests as a haymaker to the soul. The other song is an atmospheric remembrance of better times, of growing up with a best friend, and then ultimately drifting apart. Perfect Life begins with a spoken word section, then transitions into a repeated mantra of the track name. For those familiar with Stephen Wilson, this song is a break from his signature style, excluding his bands No Man, IEM, and Bass uh, Communion. It is very ambient and electronic, and as such provides a nice break in the album flow. Adam Holzman really is a master of atmosphere. Gosh. Hand Cannot Erase provides a listener with a plethora of music styles, from pop to metal to gent, and it is all held together with little passages, fills of sounds that transition songs from one to the next. The title track, Hand Cannot Erase, was the first single released prior to, the, uh, prior to album release, and it sure did ruffle some feathers. The collective prog world couldn't believe that the torchbearer of prog rock would write a <laughs> pop song. But he did, and it is filled with excellent riffs and drum fills. In short, it matches the album perfectly and signaled that this was not Raven Part 2. The song Transience is a little less than three minutes, is the shortest on the album, and arguably the most straightforward. It's a catchy little song that provides much-needed breathing room, breathing room between two very intense songs, Home Invasion slash Regret Number 9 and Ancestral. Ancestral is the behemoth of the album, a 13-minute, 30-second epic that rises and falls like ocean swells during a, sto a storm. It is a brooding, dark, progressive piece that slowly builds through, through both Steven's pained voice and haunting violin until the band bursts forth in a blast of intensity and mood. Paired with this anguish is some phenomenal solo work from Guthrie Go Govan. Wow, Guthrie Govan, an amazing drum fill by Marco Miniman as well as deep, satisfying bass lines from Nick Beggs. All of this occurs before the halfway point. From this point on, it is a roller coaster ride of intensity, building and breaking, building, uh, yeah, building and breaking, building, breaking, finally building to a crescendo of scathing guitars, synths, and drums that is equally felt and heard. It is even better live. I didn't know it at the time, but this would become my favorite song, listening to it 253 times in 365 days. This album provides the listener with a full range of musical styles performed at the highest level of technical ability. Hand Cannot Erase is more relevant now in 2020 than it was upon release, has superb mus musicianship from all members, and has an emotional quality that is difficult to put into words. If you find yourself feeling alone, 
uninspired, and or unmotivated, find some headphones and sit with this album. Listen from start to finish and feel those feelings along with Steven Wilson and his band. You may start feeling better. I know that I have done this more times than I care to remember, and in doing so, was able to discover a small part of myself in the story. Hey, that was a good place to end, because the music kind of matched That was it right there. excellent. Dude, good, good pacing. Right Thank there. you so much. Thank yeah, you. You're hey, very welcome. You know, thanks. Hey, you know, thanks. God. Uh, yeah, that was a great. That's a great review. review. Yeah, great review. I think that sums up everything that I would think about, or, or my my personal opinions on it as well. I mean, that that sums up everything. And and he oh, dove this into part of the song. Is it's so one good. of my favorites. It's one of my the banjo. Favorites. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, it's so good. Yes, I love how it's just echoing the beginning of the record. It's so good. Mm-hmm. I love that's one of my favorite parts about Happy Returns as well is that it's the exact same intro. Yeah, as yeah, yeah. Three yeah. years older, except he adds in those little guitar strums, and one of my favorite parts. I'm just gonna give a head nod to this because it's so freaking cool. But he, he like side chain compresses the thunder to fit with the synth da, 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 da. yes yes i love the beat yeah. of the rain the yes e- even yes. just the sound of the droplets falling yes. yeah like and that yeah. the rhythm chain. of that it's yeah. so perfect it's side chain with the with the synth so whenever the synth hits it would it would compress the the uh the rain effect to make it sound not like it's just you know open but it kind of sounds pumping which is a super EDM thing, like that pump synth, yeah, oh, yeah, definitely, drums and stuff yeah. like that, that kind of thing. Um, yeah, he I, that is so freaking cool. Anyway, move on from that. One thing he he talked about that we haven't haven't dove into that I really want Rachel to speak of is the concept. Spencer uh, mentioned in his review uh, a little bit or more of an overview as well as d- diving into it a little bit about the about the concept. But I wanted to hear uh, Rachel. Um, because you say you love concept albums and really dug into the concept of this. And so I was hoping that you'd be able to uh, let us in a little bit more in detail on what the concept is, as well as uh, diving into the different aspects of it and how it relates in the music. Right. Absolutely. Um, so the uh, Stephen Wilson got the idea for this album, um, which is definitely dealing with depression, isolation. Um, it, the idea came from a documentary that he watched called Dreams of a Life. And that was based on um, a story of Joyce Carol Vincent, who um, was a woman who lived in London and passed away and was not discovered. Uh, She passed away in her her apartment and was not discovered until nearly three years later. Um, Which in this, I mean, that was 2001. Uh, that she passed away. She was discovered in 2003, later in the year of 2003. And it's just crazy to me that in this modern era, someone could be dead that long. And it's even crazier when you read about the other details. Um, She lived in what was considered a, what's called a bed sit in London, which I didn't know what that term was. I mean, you know, I know that the term flat is kind of our equivalent of apartment. Apartment, Um, But yeah. A bed sit is a situation where you are basically renting your own room, but there's kind of a common area, kind of like a dorm in college almost, where you're you've got your room and then you have a shared living space and gotcha. like bathroom area. So yeah, that sounds like a dorm, right? So it's even more absurd to me and incredibly depressing that she could pass away in this space that she has shared space with people, 
in her room and nobody noticed that she was gone for this long. Um, yeah, it, it's in, it's incredibly depressing. And um, let me, I'm kind of looking at a couple of things here. Yeah, um, I think what's so interesting about it as well is that you would think that it would be like, you know, if somebody's going to pass away like that, what, is, what was she like, maybe 70 years old, 70, 80 years old, like an old woman who, you know, who's, who's maybe a widow, but no, this was like a young, attractive female. Yes, yes, been, absolutely. Was it, like 20, 26 years old, something like that? Like No, uh, she was born in 1965, and then she died in 2001. Um, okay. And so she's about Maybe 30. Yeah, late 30s. Um, late 30s, okay. So, but still, I mean, very, very young. Um, yeah, so there's a lot of life ahead of her. Right, right. Well, and the interesting thing that you learn more about her is, and this is a lot of the concept that's behind Hand Cannot Erase, is she began to start removing herself from society a couple of years before she died. Um, she quit her job as a secretary. There, there was a potentially, at least from people who did kind of know her, um, there may have been a domestic violence is, um, issue with the boy, that, uh, the guy that she was dating at the time. Um, and so she actually um, went into um, kind of a domestic violence shelter for a little bit, and they set her up in this this bed sit where bed she sit. was right yeah. and they were paying yeah. part of the deuce uh, part of the bills for the rental of that space which is oh, you know because a... you wonder like okay how could somebody go this long passed right. away without somebody finding out yeah you know like an apartment yeah. or a bed yeah it's like you haven't paid your bills yeah. what about your bills yeah. okay and, and it just it gets even more bizarre like um the fact that let me let me read some of this for you um so her remains were discovered. Uh, well, she was she was an asthma sufferer, and it's um, thought that it was either an asthma attack or a peptic ulcer that um, was the cause of death. But there's no way that they would know that for sure because her remains were m mainly skeletal when she was discovered. So it's hard to do a full postmortem or autopsy on a body that's been dead that long. Um, and wow. it just it also does make me wonder was. You know, it's interesting that they say that it was an an ulcer or asthma attack and not suicide because just the way that her life was going before this, it sounds like it would be a very prime um, atmosphere for suicide if she was removing herself from people. Um, she mm -hmm. cut herself off from her family, um, and nothing happened apparently to like there was no blow up, no fight with her parents or her siblings or anything to justify her suddenly disappearing. Um, wow, but. She was, um, her remains were discovered as mostly skeletal, according to the pathologist, and she was lying on her back next to a shopping bag surrounded by Christmas presents she had wrapped but never delivered. Um, it is not known wow. to whom the presents were addressed. So there's even a reference in Happy Returns about presents that this, you know, character has been, that has for her, right. for her. Um, um, brother's kids and yeah, i think that there's yeah. got to be a reference to I, how she yeah. was found yeah didn't know that um, didn't know that was a reference uh, to that right well okay so here's but then you think okay wouldn't somebody notice the stench of a decomposing body i mean yes just, right, you, right, okay right, right. okay they You're do sharing the living right yeah. okay right. neighbors had assumed the flat was unoccupied and the odor of decomposing body tissue was attributed to nearby waste bins no freaking yeah. way. Wow. Yeah. The flat's windows did not allow direct sight into the accommodation. Uh, it was a noisy building, which may explain why no one questioned the constant noise from the television, which remained turned on until she was discovered. No way. Her TV was still on when they discovered her. For like three years? Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, half of her what rent was being automatically paid by the Metropolitan Housing Trust by benefits agencies, uh, leading officials to believe that she was still alive. However, over two years, um, 2,400 pounds in unpaid rent accrued, and housing officials decided to repossess the property. Um, she was discovered on the 25th of January, 2006, when bailiffs had forced entry into the flat. Um, the heat wow. was also still running as well. So, Dear Lord. Again, because of bills that were um, being automatically paid. And like all of my bills are automatic payment. So I wonder, like, how long would it take people to discover if I died? How much <laughs> money did she have? Yeah, that it's very weird. Uh, well, yeah, and debt forgiveness. So I assume that there's a certain point where, you know, if you're not meeting all of your, you know, your bills before turning off, you know, the electricity, whatever, they, there's probably a limit where they would cap you off. But um, they, you know, for several months, you'd probably just go into some kind of a debt to them before they'd actually turn off your electricity thinking, okay, if you can't pay this month, we won't turn it off. You can just pay it back next month or, you know, something like that. Um, so weird. But yeah, uh, apparently her sister did hire a, um, a private detective to figure out where she was because somebody did start to kind of figure out, okay, we have not heard from her in a very long time and right. he found the apartment, but I guess he didn't enter, uh, you know? What? Um, yeah, wow. I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, well, maybe forced entry, maybe he could not actually say, enter her space. Yeah. yeah. So, um, but that is you know, until they decided to repossess the property years later, nobody knew. And it's just, it's just so bizarre to me that, you know, the heat was still on, the TV was still on and there's yeah, constant noise coming from this apartment and nobody thinks, you know, there's smells, but they just think, oh, it's just the waste bins below the, you know, apartment or something, you know, it's, that's really yeah, sad, but like, the, honestly, but the reason I think, and, and so the whole point of this is the reason that, this happened to some degree is because she started to remove herself from people as she yeah. started to disappear kind of. And uh, Stephen Wilson talks about in some of his explanation behind the album, that the idea of kind of hiding in plain sight and disappearing yes. in plain sight. Um, yeah. And so his album is not to be his character. His female is not meant to be Joyce Vincent, but it is very, you know, um, inspired right. by and you know obviously very similar situations but um, I think the hope in some ways with her character and that I've now listened to in comparison to like Joyce Vincent versus his his character um, where she says at the end of um, In Happy Returns I bet you thought that I was dead but she's not so there yep. is a small glimmer of hope that this person has not passed away uh, you know yeah. um even though there's a lot of you know depression around well why am i still alive if she continues to be pulling herself out of society um and the blog that stephen wilson wrote um from her perspective to promote this album called hand cannot erase which you can find online and if anybody's interested um i'll give you that link um so that you we can send those out to any other fans yeah. um yeah, it's definitely. This um, blog is from his character's perspective, um, and it covers her life, um, you know, from like 2008 all the way up to, to that 2015 when this record was released. Um, and it's, it's very bleak. Um, you know, it's just about how she doesn't necessarily, it's not even that she's been ostracized or forgotten or people are intentionally not paying attention to her it seems like it's a very 
willing, wanting to pull herself away from society. Purposefully. Right, self-inflicted. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. Very, it's very self-inflicted. Um, and in some ways that just adds to the the darkness of this album you know that it's a almost like a personal choice to be ignored and forgotten um and it's it's a very interesting read i didn't read the whole thing because it is fairly extensive i didn't really realize how detailed it would be since it was a promotion for the album yeah um i didn't know how you know i thought it might be one or two maybe even like five you know blog posts you know that was just a little kind of promotional blurb that was obviously like a little story he was telling from her perspective but it's pretty extensive um so i didn't read the whole thing but it was incredibly interesting where she talks about the character that that's mentioned in perfect life you know um yes. an older sister um that was only there in her family for like three months um so every bit of the album shines through and is addressed in this blog as well and it's incredibly interesting you said hiding in plain sight mm -hmm. or like people who disappear in plain sight and he's actually addressed that topic uh, i believe on the the record after this uh with a song called people who eat darkness which is um i think he, what he's doing is it's, it's coming from actually a, a terrorism perspective of, of people who hide in plain sight like terrorists who hide in plain sight and I didn't realize that there was um, uh, that he's written about sort of that topic multiple times. It was just something that came to my mind. And so, but that's such a weird, strange concept. It, it really, I forget where I read this, but we, I think it was either him or someone who had written about this had said, that, you know, it shows how lonely people can be especially people in cities which is a paradox considering cities are filled with so many people yep and i i'm just gonna tell you firsthand experience mm -hmm. uh living out here in los angeles that's an absolutely true statement that's oh yeah absolutely true statement absolutely. i just see a lot of people very lonely people that mm -hmm. i enjoy that i see every now and then but i just sense this loneliness in them i feel lonely a lot of times i'm surrounded by a bunch of people uh, I just feel like it's that, that it's so much stronger that sense of isolation actually in a more congested area. Oh, absolutely! Yeah. And, it, it's bizarre. And I I would just you know echo that. I know that the times I have felt the most alone are not when I have been physically alone. I the feeling of being in a room full of people that either I I feel don't care or you know I'm just not being able to connect with them not even that they're bad people or anything like that but being in a group where I feel isolated but everyone else is is not is the loneliest feeling I, I mean it just makes me want to go you know what I'd rather go home I'd rather be alone than be in a in a room full of people and feel alone yeah right I would agree, I would uh, agree. but I, I think it also has something to say and we had mentioned hold on let me see if this was um I wanted to find a note I had uh, and just the way I feel like I had a quote from someone. It's somewhere in here. But okay. I know it, I think, has something to do with his views on modernity, too. And On, on what? Modernity. Modern, like the modern way of life. Oh, um, I gotcha. And I, I think that that's... That's something to say, too. Here we go. Here we go. Uh, this was part of the concept. I, uh, this was on another reviewer on Prague Archives. Suffice to say, the album's conceptual foundations of a woman who isolates herself from human contacts, contact for three years fall in line with Wilson's recurring anxieties towards modernity. 
Um, huh. And and I have to agree with that. I, I mm-hmm. you know, I don't know. I mean, you know, I only have lived in the generation and the time period that I have lived, and I don't have firsthand experience of how it was for previous generations throughout decades, centuries, blah blah blah. But um, there does seem to be this distance now and it seems a lot and we kind of covered this i feel like on the um riverside riverside yeah using the internet about how yeah you've got so much access to social media and yet again it's very paradoxical uh kind of how like cities are lonely when you you have at the touch of a button you can talk to anyone and that's great don't get me wrong that's amazing that's an amazing honestly gift in some ways yeah in other ways it's this weird barrier Right, mm-hmm. even though there's this quote-unquote accessibility to almost anyone and everyone you want, there's also that weird barrier there, that electronic, you know, that 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 that, you know, the light from your screen is it's, it's kind of a, a barrier in some ways, and it's hard to articulate. Yeah. I don't think I'm going to do a good job of it, but uh, I think that had something to do with what Wilson was trying to to say as well. Is that how did this happen when we have all this technology, mm-hmm. when we have all this access, all these means of communicating with people? And, you know, Rachel, you had said that this was self-inflicted, and I think that's true, but at the same time, how does anyone, even if she's cut herself off, how does anyone, not just barring all of like the stench and like the circumstantial quote-unquote evidence, how does someone not reach out every now and then? It's like, oh, I haven't spoken to this person in a long time. Yeah, no, I haven't absolutely. said hey in a long time. No, like no one in her life, her family, her friends, well, and like I know, said, her reading- coworkers, anything had ever said hey how have you been and i guess i guess it kind of comes down to oh she's just cutting herself off right maybe oh no maybe. it's definitely not j- just her but that that's what's so sad about it is what did happen in your life to make you want to cut yourself off you know like right. that it's it, it is an incredibly sad concept and kind of what what you were saying as well about the modern era and interesting I, I did not know this about Stephen wilson there, there's clearly a lot that I don't know about him because I don't listen to a lot of modern prog but um I definitely agree with my the struggle with modernity I mean clearly yeah I was born in 1990 so um maybe I'm dating myself there um but at the same time I have not you know like I remember what it's like for email to have come along you know and things like that but I, I still was not old enough to really have lived you know a daily life as you know like a a young adult or as a teenager even without the you know without email you know or without so i mean you know aol and aim and instant messaging was the big thing when i was growing but that's still you know and and dial up but still internet was becoming a thing and i don't really remember it not being around as much or i remember it coming about and so for you know my high school career and through college internet was becoming more and more what people were you you know how people were um uh, communicating. I never have gotten very many handwritten letters other than birthday cards. You know, nobody sat down and wrote just pages and pages of a, of a letter to me, you know, maybe a few times in my life, you know. Um, but there is something about me, just maybe that's just, it's a personal thing because plenty of people from my generation, you know, um, are very much, you know, Instagram, Facebook, all of that. I have always naturally resisted that a little bit um it is wonderful especially right now in light of the the covid pandemic that i mean what would we do without the internet right now you know i mean it's amazing that we can you know 
reach out to people in multiple different ways, not just by telephone, and share funny memes and things to keep people's spirits up in and through, you know, electronics. And that is a great thing. But there's also a part of me that's like, you know, I don't need all of it though. Um, I've, I, I'm the kind of person that just has a Facebook. You know, I, I, all my friends, Instagram's the thing now, and it has been, you know, for a couple of years. But I'm like, no, nope, I don't need an Instagram. I don't, I don't want to be so connected that I lose the personal connection in some way. Like I, I right. echo that feeling of the more we press into social media, even though social is part of that, you know, the description of it, right? But I feel like in some ways, the more you press into it, the more you cut yourself off. Um, and I don't ever want to not feel like I need, I want to physically be there with my friends instead of just, oh, here, let me just shoot you a text or let me just show you this funny picture. Um, yeah. And not actually being physically present because those are the moments that I feel the most connected to people when I'm having a real conversation face to face. Um, and it scares me the reality that some people don't do that as much anymore. Um, yeah. And it, it loses something for me. And so, yeah, I, I think that it's an interesting um, oxymoron to have social media be something that's removing us from being social <laughs> in a way. Yeah. No, I, I, there's, a, there's a really good author and well as TED Talk speaker. You guys probably heard of him. His name's Simon Sinek. Um, and uh, he has... He talks about just that, that I guess, I, idea or well, as well as just way of life that people, have, people are growing up in now, which is um, talking about the, the internet as well as how people are just losing relationship skills and mm -hmm. communication skills because we can communicate on the internet rather than in person and communicating in person just requires speaking skills and you know what I mean it's like right it's 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 just a way of living now where people are more focused on how many followers they have than people who actually care about them right. and right and you know that that whole culture um which people are talking about and attacking as well but everybody just wants they want they they care about their image rather than mm -hmm. who they actually are or, or growing personally right um which is yeah, it's like it's it's what social me social media is really just a highlight reel mm -hmm. for most people. It is, um, it is. or or a soapbox for some people for some mm -hmm. other people, and so yeah, they, they, it's just yeah. And, and yeah. the Riverside and Drew, you mentioned that as well. The Riverside episode mentions a lot of uh, kind of those themes throughout the um, Shrine of New Generation Slaves. There's a lot of that kind of uh, of, of those topics talked about throughout the record. So, yeah. but yeah. Uh, I think Stephen does a really good a really good job taking that concept and and it does. using I, that for this is because it's so poignant. I think the it, well, it is, and I uh, I just have to say, I think one of the most uh, I don't know one of the big the, the lyric that hits me the biggest is I feel I'm living in parentheses. Yes, what a great I lyric. love oh, that lyric man. so much. It stuck out to what me from the first lyric. listen. I was like, yeah. oh my gosh, I love this. I think I think Stephen Wilson is a pretty damn good lyricist. Yeah, he is a good lyricist. I, I love the lyrics. He has a way of being pretty direct with his lyrics, but the topics dive pretty deep. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, and there's a lot of artistic value to it as well, and it hits you hard. But it doesn't seem—I don't know—it doesn't seem self-indulgent. Um, no, or anything. So, uh, he yeah, usually I, talks I from that. like a character, a character perspective. Yes. Like he—he always—he uses characters to, like he—if if he's going to talk about like 
if he's going to talk about isolation, he's not going to talk about his opinion about isolation. He's going to talk about a character who is experiencing isolation. Right. And right. with some of his other records, like with to the bone and, and some of the other ones, it's like he has, you know, the Raven that refuses to sing is from the perspective of like a girl and a, a grandfather, as well as like to the bone is, has like from the perspective of a terrorist or from, he always uses characters. Um, yeah. And it's not like personal opinion, but I, yeah, it's, it's really, it's just his style. That's, that's, a, that's a thing of Steven. He just, he, he writes from characters perspectives and that's what makes all of his music videos. So awesome is that they all have sort of stories within them. It's not just like, here's a topical, you know, here's a, you know, a set of lyrics that are just about a certain topic. Like most of them have a story and there's a character that you can follow, which that's why his music videos, in my opinion, are, are really, really great. Uh, yeah. Also, anyone who hasn't seen the music video to routine, you absolutely should. Yeah, absolutely. As well as the, um, oh, never mind. Different record. Never mind. I was thinking of, I was thinking, thinking of drive, drive home. home. So I was thinking of drive home. Yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I also wanted to talk oh, about, yeah. shoot. I also wanted to talk about, uh, the song titles and why he named them what he did. Hmm. Uh, You know, some Hmm. of them I could totally see. I mean, you know, hand cannot erase is like, that's the main refrain. That's what you sing. And some of the lyrics are are echoed in that, but uh, I was really confused with home invasion and even ancestral and trying to figure out why did you title it that way? Why did you title it transients? Uh, Routine is kind of self-explanatory, but some of these, uh, make me turn my head a bit and uh i kind of like it when a song title will do that uh it just adds yeah. another layer of investigation I, I enjoy that i have i have a uh a, an opinion uh, it's probably not correct but i have an idea of why ancestral is is named the way is named what it is um i think uh well ancestral is like i guess a synonym of ancestral could be like inherited um i believe that's probably yeah, yeah, okay. I, would, I would think yeah. that would be a synonym uh, is is inherited or uh, inherited from like uh or uh, like denoting from an ancestor right, right. and i think i think that um i i i and obviously this is probably probably from the character's perspective but from from the perspective of a character to isolate themselves um or whatever i think it's it's almost like the blame has been put on the other people in her life or her family what caused this person to inherit or inherit this idea that she has to isolate herself um or or be alone or whatever and uh like it's um it's been passed down to her like this idea i always talk about i I mean it just personally like stuff that's been uh because stuff passes down from generation you know what i mean like if, if the stuff that my father struggled with i I have struggled with, you know, and, and it's same, and it's, it's a, it's a multi-generational sin that we can, you know, break and whatever. So I, I always, I always think of it that way. Me personally, right. um, is that, you know, the, the way that I change as a person and better myself as a person is going to affect my children. Right. And that's, that's huge for me. And I always think that, I don't know, that's, that's what I think of when I think of this. Um, because some of the lyrics, uh, if I pull them up and listen or, and read them, um, there's one lyric that um, there that really struck me when it comes to that. And I'm looking at it right here. Yeah, when the world doesn't want you, it will never tell you why. You can shut the door, but you can't ignore the crawl of That's your a decline. Great lyric. Yeah, I love it. Such a great, great lyric. lyric. 
And that also, my second perspective of that would be from she inherited the world. Mm. Um, where she she adapted to the ideas of the world when the world doesn't want you and it will never tell you why. Okay. Um, so yeah, that was that was kind of my my two. One a little bit more personal, another one is just inherited the world and and I think that's just what but I think ancestral is just a, a better word than inheritant or inherited right, or right, inheritance right, right. or whatever. I don't know. It's probably a choice that you make. Yeah, I thought uh I thought first regret and regret number nine are interesting. I think there's first regret is an interesting. Oh well, yeah, and regret number nine too. Both of those, it's okay. So what is, what what made you choose those numbers? What you know what I mean? Like those mm-hmm. those are very interesting titles. I I like them a lot. Mm-hmm. I'm just I'm sure that there's something there, um, that I haven't. There's also to. numbers that are mentioned in the album. I I forget exactly. Uh, they're in the background. He's done this before. And I think they're in. Home yes, invasion. I know what you're talking yes. about. It's it's yes. right before it's right before the synth solo. Yeah, it's right before the synth solo and the drums and the synth are just going on. There's some numbers that are being spoken in the background. He's done that in Porcupine Tree stuff before. Um, uh, the first one I'm thinking of is Russia on Ice. If anybody's heard that track, is there's just no, zero zero one six or whatever that stuff just going on in the background. I don't know why. I don't know if that's just a thing that he's done, but I don't understand. And I've tried to look it up online to see if anybody could find out, like, what do the numbers mean? And I don't think anybody's figured it out. Interesting. So, yeah. (laughs) But um, anyway. Sitting back on his computer screen, reading these forums with his popcorn, he's just like, they'll never know. (laughs) (laughs) They will never know. (laughs) This is hilarious. (laughs) That, that, I'm going to make that a meme. (laughs) Well, Drew, you had a question about <laughs> transients. Um, no, no, I didn't. No. What? Holy Holy crap. Drew? Shoot. <laughs> go ahead. No, no, I didn't. Uh, no, I yeah, didn't. Yeah, yeah. Uh, go ahead. Well, um, transients means um, the state of fact, uh, the state or fact of lasting only for a short time, you know, something that's transitory. Um, and interestingly, I noticed when I was looking at the blog, um, that Stephen Wilson had written, um, the lyrics from transients are, you know, not com- exactly quoted, but what she's taught, what's talking about here, you know, a child in a train. Um, right. she mentions this, um, in a blog post about a, a memory that she has of her and her mother, uh, and it being like one of her happiest one of the last times that she remembers feeling completely happy being on this train trip with her mom, but train trips are very, I mean, any kind of transportation, it's, it's transitory. It's not permanent. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I guess that's where I kind of linked, you know, also, you know, that is one of the shortest songs on the album, if not the shortest. And so there's a reason that this moment in time lasts for a very short period. And what she's speaking about in (laughs) This song is a lot of, or what he's speaking about, you know, for the character is things that she remembers from her childhood, obviously being on a train, her mom, uh, you know, a piece of advice or something that her father had told her it's only the start. Also, that's also very, the starting point is also a very transitory point in somebody's life. So there's a lot of very, Mm -hmm. um, quick moments that are mentioned in this very quick song. So that's what I kind of get with that title there. Yeah. That's, yeah. Yeah. I like that. That's really good. I've never noticed that. 
Yeah, I think titling is always an interesting process Absolutely. for bands or musicians when they're trying to figure out what to title the track. And sometimes, again, with the, and, and it's what I kind of like with prog rock too, is sometimes it's like, what? And you have to dig a little bit deeper because something yeah. like pop, it's like, oh, yeah, I want to hold your hand. I wonder how you got that. I don't know how you got that title, Paul. Holy crap. Yeah. Whoa, holy crap. Not dogging on the Beatles. They're one of my favorite bands in the entire world ever and always will be. But like, that's okay. They were a pop group to begin with. So there you go. That's why right. it was named that. You named the, the refrain of the song that you've done all the time. And not that that's wrong. Not that there's anything wrong with that. What, what's a- <laughs> Not that there's anything wrong with <laughs> Shoot, that. I knew it was coming. I knew the Seinfeld <laughs> reference was coming. Yeah. Um, no, yeah you nothing- walked into that one. I did. There's nothing uh, wrong with that. In fact, sometimes that's like what you should name it because it's like, why right. would you name like, you know, why you know what I mean? Like, why would you name it? Just for the heck of being overly yeah. complicated. Yeah. 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 Why are you being yeah. prog with a capital right. P? Right. Right. I mean, yep. So, but it's really cool when it's done tastefully and it, Stephen Wilson does because. I don't know. It totally makes sense. Yeah. When you guys have your theories about this and why, but you kind of have to dig a little bit deeper and make that analysis first before you're like, Oh, okay. That's why, that's right. why it was named this. That makes sense. And, and I kind of like that when it's not totally in your face, why it was named this. Um, right. So anyway, well, and- yeah. uh, I always find it interesting when you have a, uh, a song title of a word that's not a part of the lyrics. Right. Well, and you were mentioning yeah. um, that word not mentioned like in the home lyrics. invasion as well, Drew, like that one to me, yeah, is very much, you know, he's talking about downloading this, download that, download, like bringing all, right, downloading right, right. all this into your life, invading your home through the yep. internet. Right, you right, know? right, yeah. right, right, right. Yeah. But you don't have yeah. to say the That's lyrics, cool. home invasion in the song, you know? Right, exactly. Yep. That's cool. <laughs> Holy crap, Drew, are you okay? Are you okay? Yeah, you got the COVID, okay. Drew? Okay. Hey, I got a, got a question. To- <laughs> Shoot. I got it. I got a question for you, Drew. Yeah, I was I was thinking about transients, and I've act, I've seen a bunch of uh, people make comments about transients, uh, or uh, being very very similar in a way to heart attack and a layby. Mm, yeah, you know, absentia. I think I may have actually read one or two things about that too. Yeah, and they were talking about like the melancholy, but almost an optimistic chorus is what yeah. people were talking about. And um, yeah, I wanted to me- give a mention to that because I. I like both of those songs. I, think. I really like, I like transients a bit better than lay by, but lay by is really good as well. Lay by is good. Yeah. Uh, so, all right. Well, I think we have one more topic that we wanted to talk about before we wrap things oh, up. Yeah. That was, and that was that this, and Drew, you corrected me on this. This is the second time that we've heard a female's voice on an album. The first one was obviously with a uh, great gig in the sky and dark side of the moon. But, uh, this one we've heard, uh, is, is obviously Nanette. Which brought up a topic of talking about women in Prague, and uh, what better perspective than to have that from a, a woman? Oh, is that is that Shoot. me? <laughs> yeah, that was that was unreal. That setup from a woman, unreal. And yeah, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But so anyway, I wanted I wanted to talk a little bit about that because um, there are some women prog bands out there. I'd love to go listen to some of them and 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 bring some on the show for sure. But uh, outside of uh, pro- women prog bands, there's there is a, a I wouldn't say a gap, but there's definitely more of a favoritism for men in progressive rock music. I mean, on our show, eighty three percent of our listeners are men, and uh, and I think that also has to do with prog as well. I mean, you know, I don't see a whole lot of women walking around in Rush and Yes t shirts. They exist. I, I've seen I, them. They do I've exist. I've seen them. 
It's not but like there is, <laughs> yes, no, they, they exist, but there is definitely a, a favoritism towards men. So I just wanted, I wanted to bring that topic up a little bit, uh, and, and discuss it with Rachel. So Rachel, uh, I guess the first question I would have is why do you like progressive rock music as, as a female, obviously, I mean, I'm not saying that your perspective is only is, is, you know, as the same for other females, but for just for your personal experience. Yeah. Um, well, and it's, it's. I'm glad that you're asking me about me first personally, um, because I mean, we well, like no, you. just because I was thinking Shit. about this topic because I knew this is what we were going to discuss, um, as well yeah. as the album and just, it is so hard, um, to, to talk about why you think that a certain demographic doesn't like, you know, you know, um, a certain genre of music, um, especially when I really can't refute it because I also didn't have a lot of other girlfriends who I could go to and say, Hey, what do you like about Prague? Cause I don't have very many. Um, my, my right, mother yeah, right. likes Prague music, um, to an extent, but most of my other friends, even though we enjoy a lot of the same music together and some of it being a lot of old rock, um, we don't really go into prog rock together. Um, so yeah. personally for me, um, you know, I've mentioned several times that I, I'm an English major and did um, creative writing as part of that, you know, as the concentration for that major. And um, I love literature and I love story. So I love concept albums. Um, I think that that would probably be one of the big reasons why I am pulled to Prague uh, because I I am drawn to lyrics um, first. Yes. I, I, I notice the lyrics first. And if it's something that intrigues me, especially if it is written to where I have to go back and really look up those lyrics to go, okay, what are they saying? What, you know, like when I, when I start chewing on something, um, I like things that yeah. make me think I am an intellectual. I enjoy, um, I, I value education a lot and I like, I liked studying literature um, for my major and um, especially, you know, books that had a lot of wordplay going into it. I mean, the, the things that are on my reading list are not on the reading list of most modern day, you know, people. Um, but yeah. again, I hate saying all of this, though, to imply that other women are not you, like, you know, that that's the, the thing is like, sure. don't no, no, take yeah. this as there are definitely no other women out there, you know, are intellectual because that's totally not true. But I think that also I am I you know, you guys have mentioned many times and I would agree with um, the statement that Prague is kind of musicians music. Um, I am not a musician. Yes. I did, you know, play the piano for a couple of years growing up and played the clarinet as well in uh, the end of middle school. Um, but I never stuck with practicing, <laughs> um, which sure, is what yeah. kills me about it. But I have a huge appreciation coming from a family of musicians. Obviously, my brother, um, my dad, and my grandfather are all um, musicians and have an affinity for music. And so I was brought up in that culture. So not, and my mother was the one who had the English vibe. So I was brought up in this unique yeah. environment where I loved to write for my own self. I loved words. And I also had a huge appreciation for music from a musician's perspective, not just from a, hey, this is a great pop tune, you know, perspective. So 
that is what drew me to progressive rock. Um, and then especially Drew kind of, you know, I had a little bit of a taste for Prague and then Drew, when I kind of introduced to him what I knew of it, he ran with it and it became his favorite. And so then he started kind of bouncing it back to me and exposing me to stuff that I had not heard before. Um, and I, cool. I've always loved old stuff. I mean, you know, just with my desire to not necessarily be on every social media. I mean, like, you know, in many facets of my life, from things that I choose to read, the things that I choose to listen to, the, the, the shows that I watch, I'm drawn to a lot of um, older influences and TV shows and stuff like that. So it's it was very natural for me to fall into discovering Prague because it, um, it had its heyday in a time period where I was already listening to that music anyway, like just kind of straight rock in the seventies, Led Zeppelin, um, Beatles. Um, well, I mean, obviously they would have, um, they were sixties, but you know, all of those bands that were really big, but would be considered more just straight classic rock was what I kind of started listening to. And it was an easy switch into listening to Prague as well. And I just think that, um, not just women, but other men as well. I mean, there are plenty of men who also don't like Prague. And if, you, if you're not brought up in that kind of unique, you know, mesh of influences, you may not be drawn to the genre. Yeah, that makes a whole lot of sense. Yeah. That makes perfect sense, actually. I mean, you just, you grew up in an environment surrounded by musicians so you can appreciate the musicianship, which I think one of the things that a lot of people drop off in prog music is that they, I, I guess they just don't have a, an appreciation for musicianship. Right. And, and maybe I'm wrong there. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe the masses do appreciate good musicianship. But I think like that's the first thing mm -hmm. that falls off first is that th when, you know, the long songs and the solos and the, you know, the experimentation with the instrumentation and the, and the, uh, the compositions, they just don't right. get and it. They, they don't, they don't, yeah, most, they don't most understand people, it. And, you know, I was having this conversation with my parents a few nights ago, just trying to get some other ideas from other people, you know, to be able to speak more uh, intellectually about, you know, not just from a personal perspective, but what other people think just about Prague in general, women in Prague, yeah. that kind of thing. Right. Most people don't want to think when they're listening to music. And there's nothing wrong with that because I completely, you know, I completely enjoy um, music where I just turn it on and it's just for the beat or, you know, this is just a, a great, yeah, you, it's a great love good. song and I, and I like it and it makes me feel good. Plenty of songs and genres that I also love in addition to, as well as, you know, uh, prog rock. So not always do I want to be thinking about my music, you know? So, but I think for most sure, people, yeah. music is an escape, not some, and an escape implies that you're not having to really think about it. Just like maybe watching TV versus reading a book. Yep. Right. Video games. Yeah, well, or, and, yeah, yeah. I, I actually, like I just, just thinking about that analogy that I just now thought, like the, the, the concept of, you know, people will consider watching TV kind of like vegging out, but nobody really uses that term vegging out when you're reading a book, you know, right. because it takes right. a certain yeah. part of your brain that you're thinking about. But also, there are plenty of people who still enjoy reading a book just as much as they would watching TV. But it just depends on what kind of mood you're in and I think that you could apply that you know kind of watching TV to the more commercial music out there to reading a book with prog rock you're having to think about it and there are obviously jazz there are other genres where you also have to think about it as well but again those are ones that may not have a mass appeal so mm -hmm. 
Wow. Yeah. That's good. I, I was looking on some forums about this, too. I'm oh, were you? very grateful. Uh, uh, shoot. <laughs> shoot. Oh, really? Huh. Oh, really? Oh, oh what's his you? deal? Um, oh, what's his deal? Nope. Yeah, keep going. Uh, I was very, I was happy to hear uh, your input, Rachel, because uh, that's valuable. Also, because like you said, it was so funny. You, I, I didn't think you knew that I would take the ball and run with it as far as I did, but uh, you, you were kind of the genesis, pun intended. <laughs> no pun intended. No, 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 no. That was intended. That was easily intended. Ah, uh, dang it. Yeah. I knew you on, did no. that on purpose, um, Drew. <laughs> oh, come on, Ben. Oh, come on, Ben. Um, with the beginning of kind of my love for progressive rock was uh, was really the dark side of the moon. Mm-hmm. And I had mentioned that on that episode. But not only that, I remember there was a day you were driving me somewhere. I think we were getting ice cream or something. And you turned on the spirit of radio. And yes. I was like, what is this? What band? is this? And you were like, oh, it's Rush. And I don't think you even knew that oh, much. No. I think you maybe had permanent I had permanent wave. I I, that that's like it. it. You know, I think I'd maybe heard it. Tom Sawyer and, as well. But yeah, I mean, my first intro to Rush right. was very minimal. And then you brought it kind of back to me. Like I said, you bounced it back, you know? Yeah. Well, yeah. And then dad showed me exit stage left. And mm-hmm. I remember being like, yeah. whoa, that's cool. And he was like, dude, you got to hear the trees. Oh, you know. one of my faves. So that helped grow it and everything. But then I just went up from that. So that was interesting that you kind of were, the, uh, you know, one of the starting points for me. But... I started looking up some stuff about women in Prague, and, you know, <laughs> I looked up on some forums, and it's dangerous to, to look at, you know, forums and all that stuff, because it, it, it can go anywhere. Um, but yep. uh, why don't women like Prague as much as men? I just, that, that question, uh, and, and I, I just wrote this down, I said, well, that's a generalization that should not be applied to all women, as we just said. I looked on some forums, and there were some... There were several fairly sexist comments by men. No, I mean, no shock, right? right? Um, Claiming that women don't appreciate complex music. Many claimed uh, that women only want a catchy melody, simple lyrics, and a basic beat. And I saw a woman, I think she was Italian, actually. She responded. uh, She was very offended, Mm -hmm. understandably so, uh, by this narrow-minded viewpoint. And she said that she really enjoyed progressive rock and the, the music and the lyrics that it offered and the more depth and profundity that it elicited out of her. And uh, she was quite restrained, actually. I was really appreciated that. She was like, hey, I'm offended. But it wasn't, well, you know, it can get so heated and so hostile online. Um, So, so quickly and so easily. Um, And so I really appreciated her. She was like, yeah, this is not cool and I'm not okay with it. But, you know, it wasn't like this rant. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't this just right. She just wanted to refute the comment with her own educated response. Right, of course. And I appreciated that a lot. Um, but it does seem, like we said, you know, from our own show, more men listen to it than women. Uh, why yep. is that? And I said, there's no cut and dry answer, of course. But if I had to offer my theory, it's because women, to me, it seems, look at lyrics and vocals first when listening to music. Mm-hmm. Maybe not saying, you know, that it's like you said Rachel that it's a source of escape which it can I mean music can be but it seems like music uh, for women they seem to look at the the lyrics and vocals first whereas men look more at the musical feel of a song the energy the groove that part the guitar there the blah 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 and I would completely agree with that statement actually you know the 
so go ahead. I, this was just the first thing I thought of, uh, especially because I know how lyrics are important to you and a couple of my other female friends. They they're like they really appreciate the message of the song. Like, oh, I really like this. Yeah. Whereas there's so many times Dest and I, as much as we both enjoy lyrics a lot, we'll just be like, dude, that that part right there, man. Where like the drums come in, like, oh, dude, that's nuts. Yeah, yeah, we geek, we geek out over we it. geek out over these musical elements that are more instrumental or atmospheric or something like what? that. Then, then again, for us, we're both musicians. Right. But I, mean, you yeah, know, that, I, that I don't think that, that it's it. just musicians, though, because, I mean, you saying that, Drew, just to kind of put in a, a personal agreement on that, um, the, uh, the guy that I dated in college, you know, a lot of the music that he liked was how it made him feel musically. Um, and he was not a musician, right. and it wasn't even like... Um, he was definitely not a prog rock guy. So he was not into that kind of genre but he liked what he was very much you know about you know kind of electronica like the ambiance of a song and even to me right. stuff that i would be like well where's this melody going like what is this doing it's just sitting there you know but he's like totally loving this you know but you know my first thing that i'm drawn to not that there's not plenty of just instrumental instrumental music that i enjoy one of my favorite song of all time is just instrumental however i was not drawn to that naturally until it was a little bit later after being exposed to a little bit more prog rock that I have been able to go back and appreciate stuff that is lyricless because right off the bat I was like okay but what's the message of this song where's the you know where are the lyrics what is it saying you know and it takes a little bit to understand what music is saying without words sometimes right yeah right 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 last train home yeah that's my favorite song of all time yeah 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 nailed it nailed it nailed it it's the way it makes me feel but would i have really been tapped into that uh 10 years ago probably not you know yeah you know it was interesting while i was doing some research on this i also looked up not women and prog which is what we have just been talking about but women in prog destin you touched on it very briefly when you said that you know we we haven't heard that many if any yeah i don't really know of any i mean the closest thing i can go to is our, our our friends slider Right. There's a there's a band yeah. called Slider. They're a Nashville based band. The, the you know, the guitarist uh, for that group also helped us produce, not helped us. He did produce uh, <laughs> our first two records. Um, he's, he's a phenomenal musician and friend. Uh, the, the front person uh, for their group is, is woman uh, and she's phenomenal. She's an excellent uh, guitar player and an excellent vocalist and all that stuff. Uh, granted their stuff is very interesting because they're kind of like Stephen Wilson in the sense that they blend a lot of different genres and a lot of different, elements, but yeah. you can definitely hear a progressive rock influence that all the, oh, certainly. the, the, the three other members are all men and they, they're huge prog fans. And I'm sure, huge. uh, you know, Mariah has been influenced by prog and as well. And she, she probably enjoys it a lot too. At this point, I would hope she does. Uh, <laughs> it's like, yeah. it's like the rest of her bandmates really love this genre. She's like, I'm in this group and I just really don't care. No, I just really don't like it. Yeah, no, I'm sure she does. <laughs> but, um, uh, but you know, other than that, I can't think of any. So actually, if any of our listeners know of any, we would love to hear it. We would love yeah, to hear it. it and over. We, we will, we will look into that. There's a lot of stuff that we want to cover on this show and a lot of different albums and different projects that we want to work on. So we'll be doing that too, but I would love, uh, Destin at some point in the future, and I'm sure we will, uh, do yeah. oh, a, definitely. a prog rock album. That's, that's, um, with, with women involved in the band. That's not just, yeah. I mean, you know, cause you know, Stephen Wilson did, did this with Nanette, but she's kind of a guest appearance, right? Well, just like the woman on yeah. dark side of the moon, you know, right, exactly. exactly. I'm saying it would be cool to see someone who is a core a, member yeah. of the group, yeah. yes. right? Whether, not it, even and it that, doesn't, but like, 
but but maybe the whole band, right? The women. whole band, that too. Anything. I mean, anything. But you know, I I was looking into this, and it's an interesting topic to see. Okay, not just women and Prague, but women in Prague. Yeah, uh, and it was pretty interesting. I think the article that I had read, it was on I think Louder Sound. Mm -hmm. um, and it was a farewell to Kings. Uh, I read that is, this morning, or I brought, yeah, I yeah, perused yeah. it. I did how not women see the are, whole thing. Yeah, how how women are rejuvenating Prague, Prague Rock. Yes. So it was really cool. Um, you know, I think one of them said, "Cami Gilbert of Texas-based blues Prague doom metal band Oceans of Slumber agrees." I didn't realize there were many female instrumentalists. If I could have felt like I could have been a shredder on the guitar, then maybe I would have taken it up to a greater extent than I have. I always sort of delegated female roles to music in music towards vocals. And it's refreshing now to see that that's not all there is, um, you know, and she's talking about other female instrumentalists she has seen. Uh, and, you know, it's kind of true. I just don't see as many female people in the realm of rock. You've got your notables, right? You've got Hart. You've got Joan Jett. You've got yep. a Pat lot Benatar. of people. Pat Benatar. You've got Amy Winehouse. She was kind of in the pop rock uh, type of deal, too. Blondie. And Blondie, yeah. yeah, you've got them in there, but again, they're all vocalists. They're all vocalists, yeah. right? Right. Carol, almost Kay. all of them. But you've obviously you got, got Carol Kay. You've got what? Carol Who's... Kay from the Wrecking Crew. Oh, the bassist that did all the all the Beach Boys stuff. And, yes, uh, yes, and yes, 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 yes. That yes, yeah, yes, you yes, got, yes. You have yes. her, which I mean, she's an instrumentalist, but yeah, there's there's, there's exceptions, of course. But uh, you know, and I'm reminded of uh, if anyone's heard of the Travis Larson band, they're kind of a jazz fusion, uh, oh, yeah, rock fusion, great. you know, rock jazz fusion type of deal and uh the bass player for them is jennifer young she's a monster she's a monster Stupid on the bass good. she is so good um i mean crud and dustin you've talked about in the the sphere of drumming you you know there's there's several it was oh, several is it annika uh, annika nealis yeah uh, annika annika nealis. And, yeah yeah um but you know it, it is kind of a, a rare Manual thing Capulet. to see but it was nice because the the article and and who knows you know if this is reflective of actually how it is or not um, changes for everyone. But the consensus for that article at least was saying that a lot of women are feeling that the progressive rock community is actually very inclusive to women compared to a lot of other uh, genres, a lot of other genres. So uh, what, what was it? Uh, it was all men. Here we go. Uh, when it started, it was all men and men would, uh, would play the female parts. I think she was saying back even in the realm of theater, right? Yeah, she was Men talking back about theater. Day. Yeah, I remember that quote. Yeah, and then she says, Prague can be seen as, as old-fashioned, but it's really great to see that the attitude towards women is far from old-fashioned. Uh, it is in our power to stop it from being a boys' club, and I think we are slowly succeeding. Well, so that's great. I, Sorry, I had a, well, I had a couple of thoughts on that as well, especially after reading, um, the you know, after perusing that article too. It, it, it's interesting that it echoed some of my own thoughts. Cause again, I was thinking about women and Prague and women in Prague for this episode. And, um, it, and again, this is a painting with a very broad brush. I, maybe I'm about to be sexist towards my own sex or like, or it sound like I'm some man hater or something. And, and I don't, but I do think and it's even mentioned uh, one of the ladies that was interviewed in that um, article references it. She says something about how um, one of the first comments about like some show that she gave was what she was wearing. And yeah. I do think that women are is in any, any industry are usually portrayed as sex symbols. 
And yep. progressive rock yeah. is not a sexy genre. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> like, because the thing is, yeah. guys have had this too. I mean, especially the early 90s, you had your boy bands. And the whole thing is, it wasn't about the music. It was about the image that they were trying to portray right, right. with these boy bands. I mean, heck, the Beatles were probably the first original boy band. You know, I mean, and, and right, the, you right. know, the Beach Boys, things like that. So, of course, men have been in that place where at first – People just wanted a catchy tune and they wanted you to look good and you were a a sex symbol. But women have not really, and it's not their fault. And I'm also not blaming men. I'm just saying for whatever reason, men have been regarded, I think, especially like you were saying, not just in prog rock, but just rock in general is dominated by by males, not just prog. Um, And there are a few women that stick out, especially heart. I would say, you know, um, if you want to talk about people who are also not just singers or just even like, you know, but like it was two, you know, two sisters, obviously they had some guys in the band behind them, but they were the stars of Mm -hmm. that band and they wrote, you know, and they played, you know, they were instrumentalists as well as singers in that band. Um, so there's definitely, but it, it is, it's fewer and further between. And, um, I think a lot of it does have to do with the fact that, women are um you know sex symbols um you just think about women that are popular artists today um and it's all going to be probably within pop or country or um one of those genres that are a little bit more but it's all about also the image that they are portraying not just what they're saying with with their lyrics and so i you know kind of going back to progressive rock maybe evolving to you know be more accepting of women in that it's possibly because progressive rock is also not about what you look like or what we were not trying to put forth this <laughs> right. image yeah. because most progressive rock, you know, stars that she even says, you know, somebody else says it in that article are not attractive or it's not yeah, about the sex appeal, right? It is yeah. about what they're saying and what the music is communicating. And so if women want to try to be in a genre where it's not about what I look like, then it's about what I'm saying the progressive rock community itself may be very embracing about that. However, it's still because women are still just played as, you know, um, you know, sex symbols. Um, it still may be harder in any genre for them to really break in and grab, grab a following, you know, um, especially in a genre that other women aren't going to come alongside them as much and because they don't listen to it as much and kind of back them up to bring them, forward as well right. so it's it's, oh, yeah. it's an interesting it's a, it's a, it's a multi-generational dynamic thing. yeah it's a, it's a generational thing that we've just it's it's just what what we've known i mean right it's just what what they've seen what they've seen and this is what the norm is and then people who try to or right so so a woman push it, but a yeah. woman that really wants to make it in music and she at the end of the day it's like hey i would really like to be an artist and obviously i don't want to just be portrayed as a sex symbol but i also want to do this for a career i might start to go more pop I might start to go more, you know, if I want to actually sell records and make money doing this, you know, and then once I've gotten kind of like the Beatles as well, they were very pop and then they became more experimental. They kind of made their mark and Brian Epstein, you know, the matching outfits and the bowing after every song. I mean, he really shaped what he wanted the Beatles to be portrayed as. And it wasn't only after they became super popular and it was like, we can do no wrong that they started experimenting. I think women in some ways kind of have to do the same thing in a way. Like you, you get your, your stardom, you get your, 
you know, your um, mark as this kind of an artist and you have this following and then you start to expand. I mean, I think, I don't know, I, in some ways, I think Lady Gaga is kind of a, a good example of that. Not that she's obviously progressive at all, but she was, you know, she's very poppy, but she's also kind of spread her fingers out to be like, no, but I'm different and I'm trying to make a statement and I'm trying to do something different. Yeah, um, right. Not whether, you know, what you think about Lady Gaga or not. I think there are certain um, women artists out there that are trying to, they'll get their popularity and then they'll go, oh, but I'm going to do something different. Like Alicia Keys doing right. the whole, I'm not going to wear any makeup kind of thing. You know, um, there's, mm -hmm. there's definitely, sometimes you have to win your claim to fame before you can do what you want to do in any kind of artist um, uh, genre, I think. Yeah. yeah, 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 that's good. And it also begs, it also I'm thinking of the, uh, just begging the, uh, if we're looking at just women in Prague or, I mean, you also have to look at just women in music. Yeah. I mean, there is a, uh, it's yeah, huge. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like, I mean, and or orchestras as well as just women in music. I mean, it's it's dominated by mostly men mm -hmm. that are, are that, who are, full-time musicians in, in the music industry. I mean, it's less, less than 2% of, or of the of music uh, producers are women. And uh, as well as a lot of people in the orchestra. But I mean, if, but, but then again, you look at the, some of the big, big names, like the huge names in country and pop are women. So it's almost, it's almost like a skewed graph. You know, it's like who, what's popular are, are there are a lot of females who are, are popular. Absolutely. In music, a lot of females who are popular in music. But when you look at music as in a, in a whole, as a whole, and the industry as a whole, it's dominated by men. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, and uh, and so that there, there's there's a skew there. But there's somebody who came to my mind, dude. Drew, Amanda McCoy is the first person who just came to my oh. mind right then, being a, bass a woman, teacher. bass teacher, bass bass player, who's also playing in. Uh, I mean, what is she doing now? She's playing in. Um, she's playing with some, uh, some art, Jenny something. I forget exactly. I actually don't know. But she, it's but been, she was it's been years. She was playing with uh, Pavlov's dog. Yeah, she played with Pavlov's she was, dog she was as the bass there, dog. but she's also an amazing guitar player and a great vocalist Stupid, too. Stupid talented. She's incredibly talented. talented. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And she was the first yeah. person that came to my mind when well, I was thinking about just. But this is interesting. Yeah. Is when, um, even as a woman, for you, you know, when you first started taking bass lessons and stuff, and mentioning that your bass teacher was a woman. I was surprised, Drew. I mean, I was, you know? You she just, was awesome. Yeah. Man. Oh, yeah. She still is. Yeah. She's still is awesome. But She's the bomb. It's just, even for me as a woman, I'm still surprised in certain places to find that, oh, that's a woman, you know? Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's interesting that even as a woman, I think those things sometimes. Yeah. Well, yeah. And you think about even in film and music, right? I mean, I can't place my name on a female composer. It's like, who, who did the, who did the score for that, that movie? I was a man. Almost all, I can't, I, right. you know, I can't think of, well, I'm sure, I'm sure there's a couple, but I can't think of any, I can't think of any off sure. the top of my head. I mean, you know, you think of Hans Zimmer, you think of John Williams, right? These big name composers yeah. mm -hmm. who, who have made these iconic scores and blah, blah, blah. But uh, yeah, I can't think of any women uh, in that as well. So yeah. And the, I, yeah. Dustin, you're 100% right. It's completely dominated by men. I mean, entertainment in general. Um, yeah. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. But I do love your perspective on that, Rachel, just the, um, kind of, I, I guess the, the approach of taking to listening to it, it actually almost th makes me think now that there is, it is not as niche as I think it is. Like I actually, I really do believe now that if it's just, if it's the right time, the right moment to the right person with an exposure of something with, with Prague, 
I think they could like because everybody's not stupid. Like, so if, right. if it takes a little bit more thinking, you know, if it takes a little bit more thinking to to get into it a little bit or or, or just opening your mind to, to accepting this or listening to it or listen to it in a different way. It's kind of like watching a movie in a different way or listening. to It's just like doing anything else well, and, uh, that has to do with art. And it's like we've I think I've said this before. Maybe it was even on the Sergeant Peppers, you know, the very first um, episode that I was on. It's also yeah. just the idea of what do you want from music? And that differs right. obviously from person to person, not from male to exactly. female. But, right. and that's why have, you know, talking about male versus female is a very tricky, not just because of being afraid to make a sexist comment or whatever, but all that aside, it's still just hard to, at the core of it, explain, but okay, but regardless, why do men like this more than women? Or why does it seem like they do? And, you know, it, because stripping away, you know, anything about, you know, sexism or whatever why why does it seem like this demographic of people seems so drawn to this genre and this one does not you know um mm -hmm. so but i i it's just what what do you want out of music and of course that also varies from moment to moment for each person you know i'm exactly. not always listening to prog music you know <laughs> right yeah so yeah same yeah it's exact same that's cool well do we have any other thoughts on that i think we that was a I'm glad we talked about that. That was really that was really good. Any any other final thoughts before we wrap anything up? No, Anybody? I really just wanted to kind of leave the silence there. Just kind of just drift away. Okay, we'll have we're just drifting. <laughs> we're just drifting now. Yeah. Oh, one last thought. Two of the three members of the Aristocrats are on this record, being Govan and Miniman, and we will. I certainly want to talk about the Aristocrats in the future, Drew. I think mm. that would be really cool if we mm. if we brought mm. the Aristocrats on. Mm. Um, shoot like actually like actually have them here on the oh, show with us shoot well we'll, um, we'll try we'll do our best i saw them i saw them live oh that's cool so we will shoot actually no. <laughs> <laughs> all right well we would like to thank everybody very much for listening to our podcast these are our prog notes for Hand Cannot Erase. If you enjoyed the episode, learned something new from the episode, please subscribe and share. You can follow us on Instagram at prog underscore notes. You can also email us at prognotespodcast at gmail.com and leave us a review if you liked or disliked the show. Rachel, thank you again for coming back on with us, making the drive out here to be on. It was great. Thank, thank you for you. having me. It was wonderful. It was great. Drew, uh, we have the next album. What is the next episode's album that we'll be discussing? Uh, the next album is misplaced childhood by marillion this will be by new for me marillion oh, you'll be, love yeah. it drew it's yeah. so good no no, no i've I know. heard pieces yeah. of it yeah you i've heard no. pieces of it and well maybe it destin and i will talk about me. it then because i really like misplaced maybe, childhood <laughs> maybe this will oh, i like it too. this will be different hearing it now but yeah i i heard bits and pieces a long time ago and all i remember was not my thing but we'll we'll see i'm interested I'm interested to hear it yeah, again. Yeah, I mean, uh, the, the 80s, 80s in prog rock music is certainly something that uh, really just, it, it just kind of sucked, really. I mean, there, there was not a whole lot of really great prog rock 80s records. I mean, there were some there were some bands that, you know, made it, like Rush and some other people. Well, even with Rush, I, I, I don't, they lost I really a lot of their fans. They lost a lot of them, yeah. But there, there's certainly not, 
it's not the 60s, 70s stuff that everybody's like. Right. No, but it still right, has right. some of that it's vibe. I just remember you you oh, sharing does, that vi- vibe. You sharing that album with me, Destin, years ago. And I, yeah. I, I remember mentioning it to Drew and him being like, uh, you know, about it. So I'm not I'm not surprised, you know, with that reaction, but I'm glad that y'all are doing it because um and I have not delved into any other like Marillion since, but I remember you giving me, me that neither. album. Yeah. And um, yeah, again, not it wasn't like this total immediate, oh my gosh, you know, but there was something there that right. I was like, no, but but I like this, Drew. You know, Drew was like, nah. And I was yeah. like, no, I, I kind of like it. <laughs> Shoot. I kind of like, like you're convincing yeah. him that you like <laughs> yeah. it. I, I, I kind of like it. Drew's like, no, you no, don't. You but don't. you really no, don't, you don't, Rachel. Yeah. Mm. Gosh. Well, join us next time as we discover the past, present, and future of prog rock. We are going to close this episode with the last song on the record, my personal favorite, actually, Happy Returns. And we'll see you guys real soon. Thank you.
guys, thank you once again for tuning into the show. Hope you enjoyed Happy Returns. If you're a fan of Misplaced Childhood and would like to send us your review of the record, please send it to prognotespodcast at gmail.com. We would love to possibly include it in our show and give you a shout out. So thank you for your support once again, and you'll hear from us soon. Thank you.